Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. In the Apostle John's Gospel, he does a magnificent job of describing the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the whole focus of the Gospel of John, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's one example, John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40. It says this, Jesus said to the people who had seen him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, I am the bread of life. These were Jewish people, and he was making an analogy. Because the Jewish people, as they came across the desert for 40 years, manna dropped down from heaven from the sky. And it was a symbol. It was a precursor of what was going to happen in the future. Everything in the Old Testament pointed forward to the cross. It was a sign pointing forward to the cross. And there was going to be a real live manna that was going to come down from heaven and feed everyone. He said, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. And he's using a uh, 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 culinary uh, analogy here. But what he's talking about is salvation. John chapter, three verse, John chapter 6, verse 36. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, said to you that you have seen me, the one God the Father sent down as the true bread from heaven to give eternal life, and yet you don't believe me. They rejected their Messiah. They didn't believe he was the Christ. They rejected him. John six thirty seven. All those that God the Father gives me will come to me. Those are the chosen ones. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father knew who would believe in Christ. And he called those people the chosen. If you're a believer in Christ, you are the chosen. Another word used for you as believers in Christ is the elect. And God knew that before he made you. He knew that you would do that. He systematically placed believers in the family of unbelievers so that every family would have a chance. Amen? Amen. Anybody here ever think that happened in their situation? (laughs) So everybody's looking around like, I don't know. I never really thought about it. So... John 6, 37, all those that God the Father gives me will come to me. They will come to me. They will believe in me. This is what the Lord is saying. And the one who comes to me, 
I will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness the lake of fire. What is he saying there? He's making a promise. If you believe in me, you're not going to the lake of fire. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come down from heaven like living manna, and not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Who sent him? God the Father. John chapter 6, verse 39. And this is the will of God the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose none. Ooh, what's he talking about here? All right, first of all, he's talking about the fact that he's God. What's the other thing he's talking about here? Eternal security. I will lose none, and no one will snatch them out of my hand, and nothing can sever us from the unconditional love of God, which comes through uh, being in union with Christ Jesus. This is the will of God the Father who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose none. Instead, them up in resurrection from the dead on the last day. That's what you have to look forward to as believers in Christ, that you will be resurrected from the dead on the last day. The battery's out. You hearing me, Zach? Check, 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 check. Check, 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 check. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. All right. Listen with the, the headphones, Zach. Can you hear me okay?
You got it now? Earphone? Zach, earphone. Hello? Can you hear me? Okay, good. All right, welcome. All right, so let's go back, turn it down a little bit. Let's go back to John 6.35, just to read ourselves back into the picture. So Jesus said to the people who had seen him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, I am the bread of life. He is the manna that came down from heaven. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 6:36 But I the Lord Jesus Christ said to you that you have seen me the one that God the Father sent down as the true bread from heaven to give eternal life the one that is the Messiah the one who had been prophesied about all throughout the Old Testament and yet you do not believe me the Jews rejected their Messiah John 6:37 And those that God the Father gives me will come to me that's the elect the chosen the believer in Christ will come to Jesus, will believe in Jesus. And the one who comes to me, Jesus says, I will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness, into the lake of fire. What does that mean? It means that you have eternal security if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the moment of your salvation, Jesus puts you, God the Holy Spirit, through the baptism of the Spirit, places you in union with Christ. And it is a union you can't get out of. Why? Because the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't going to let anyone snatch you out of his hands. John 10, 28, I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Yet there are teachers teaching all over the world today that you can lose your salvation if you do something wrong. And what they're doing is attacking the character and nature of the Lord and they're saying that he is conditional. He is not. You are. He is not. And that's why you want to believe that crap, because you're conditional. You like people when they're doing nice stuff, and you don't like them when they're telling you the truth. Or you don't like them when they do something quote-unquote wrong. God's not like that. He loves you unconditionally. John 6:38. For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come down from heaven like living manna, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That is a submission relationship like the relationship between a married man and a married woman. There is a submission relationship, and it is not weak. You would never describe the Lord Jesus Christ as weak because he's in a submission relationship with his Father. John chapter 6, verse 39, And this is the will of God the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, the chosen, the elect, I lose none. Instead, that I raise them up, resurrection from the dead, on the last day. That's something that you have to look forward to as believers in Christ. John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, the resurrection life. Notice, all it takes is that you see Him, that's hearing the gospel message, and that you believe in Him. There's no hoops, no tricks, no extra stuff that you have to add to the mix. And I myself, the Lord Jesus Christ, will raise them up in resurrection on the last day. 
The Lord is saying the opposite of what the world says. He's saying, when you believe it, you'll see it. When you believe in him, you'll see the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. It is not a future event. Eternal life is not a future event. It is a present tense event, and it starts for you the moment you believe in Christ. You move from having everlasting life to having eternal life. Everlasting life is a life that begins with no end. The soul once born never dies. Eternal life is you sharing the life of God, which has no beginning and no ending. Amazing. Only the true and sovereign God of the universe can make a promise like that and then turn around and keep the promise. So why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. And we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of both unbelievers and believers. We give unbelievers the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer, and we teach believers in Christ the Word of God, the Bible, the inerrant canon of Scripture, so that those who study the Word can have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the Lord says, Come to me, all who are weary laden and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What he's saying is, come and get in the yoke with me. A yoke is for two animals. The Lord's in there, and he invites you to come in too. If you are weighted down and burdened by the sin which so easily entangles us, the Lord invites you into the yoke with himself so that he can carry our burdens. He paid for every sin that you'd ever commit, past, present, and future at the cross. So they are no longer an issue in your life. For those who want a relationship with them, he cleanses them from sin once and for all time, and he gives them the gift of his righteousness. He credits his righteousness to your account at the moment of salvation, and that is your admission ticket to heaven. That's what it takes to get into heaven. And no works of yours could ever in a million years be good enough to get you into heaven. And Barah Ministries exist to encourage believers to gather with other believers to study the Word of God instead of believing what the world says and socially distancing and retreating from each other to do Bible study alone or only online. Being with like-minded people is immeasurably valuable. Well, why study the Word of God? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the pastoral epistle says this, All Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture. It is the Greek word theonoustos, God-breathed, which means that the Bible came through supernatural inspiration where God told the writers exactly what to write and they wrote exactly what he told them to write word for word. And Scripture is profitable for teaching, that means knowledge, for reproof strong disapproval of things you're doing that are off base, for correction, a gentle nudge back onto the right road, and for training in righteousness so that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And the Bible is good for training in righteousness so that the man of God might keep on being mature, continuous action, totally equipped for every good work. God's enemy is Satan whom God made the ruler of this world. He is a deceiver 
who hates everyone in the world, including you and me. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from ruling the planet at a future time. And that is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to initiate his 1,000-year millennial reign on the earth. Satan only wants a part of us, our will. He deceives us. He causes us to suffer. Yet neither of these things is nearly as bad as how he convinces us to let him influence our will. And that's when his insidious methods of destruction, designed to corrode our spiritual lives and ruin everything precious to us, is most powerful against us. We permit him to destroy us. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the Lord Jesus gives us the remedy against Satan. He says, you shall love the Lord your God unconditionally, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. All is not some. Don't give the devil a single opportunity. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Today's Bible lesson, whatever your problem, the solution is Jesus. Whatever your problem, the solution is Jesus. What are the gifts the Lord Jesus Christ has given you? The wretched sinner. His biggest gift to you is the offer of a relationship with him. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are no longer a sinner. What are you? A saint. That's correct. In today's lesson, we begin our verse-by-verse study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. The first chapter describes the preeminent one our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what preeminent means is he is first in everything. And it also describes a few of the many gifts he offers us in addition to himself. So let's begin this wonderful journey through the four chapters and the 95 verses. And let's begin with some music. The Lord always encourages us. What does encouragement mean? It means he is always inculcating us with the courage that would be expected from a person indwelled by the entire omnipotent trinity. He gave the same encouragement to Old Testament believers, like in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, to whom the Lord said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I was thinking about you, June. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed. What song is that of yours? Fear not. Yeah, there you go. It's a good song. That should have been the first song today, but whatever. (laughs) God encourages us because he is omnipresent. He is always with us. And as Aaron Cole and Toby Max sing, he is always there right on time. Don't worry, just lay it down, it's not your fault Don't worry, it'll be alright Don't worry, he will make your heavy light Don't wait on, wait on, this love is always right on time I've been trying to figure out my own way 
trying to put it all on me. Way down by the pressure. Without looking up, I know you see me. Cause on and on and on, you keep blessing me. But on and on and on, I keep worrying. Why I'm always running when you're telling me. Telling me, don't worry. Just lay it down, it's not your fault. Don't worry, it'll be alright. The shoulders for the burdens I'm bearing broke down and pulling over by the wayside. Was never made for this type of way, so I throw my hands up and my load gets lighter. I throw my hands up and then burn like fire. Float up to heaven like the smoke in the air. I flip my worries in the prayer, leave them right there. Just lay it down, it's not your fight. Don't worry, it'll be alright. good all right let us pray we're grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god father thank you for giving us an indescribable gift a relationship with your son and our lord jesus christ help us through the power of god the holy spirit to obey him to worship him and to reflect him in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called and keep us from dumbing him down 
to fit our mediocre lifestyle and our comfort zone. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, whatever your problem, the solution is Jesus. Whatever your problem, the solution is Jesus. Well, Paul's letter to the Colossians is four chapters and 95 verses of power-packed information about a problem that plagues plagues us every single day of our lives. The problem of the real versus the counterfeit. I think the weight loss industry is probably about a $10 billion industry. In the United States, we are the fattest people on the planet. And we spend billions of dollars every year to lose weight. And what happens? Nothing. Because there are promises made in the programs that we get involved in, and the result is nothing. And that means that the programs are counterfeit. And then what do we do right after that? We go get another counterfeit program and another counterfeit program and another counterfeit program because that's how everything works in Satan's kingdom. And then we get discouraged and we think there is no answer. There are answers. And so we are always plagued by the real versus the counterfeit. And that was the problem in the Colossian church as well. So as we begin the eighth lesson of our study it might be worthwhile for you to review the first seven lessons. And since it's short, it would also be a good idea to read Paul's letter to the Colossians every day for a week to make yourself familiar with its contents. And what you'll see in chapter 1 is a description of your Lord and Savior, one of the most magnificent descriptions ever given in the whole world. Then you'll see the problem that the Colossian church is facing in chapter 2, and then chapters 3 and 4 give you a picture of what the Christian way of living really is and what we're doing when we're really living it. Well, as we've gotten this lesson started, or this, this letter started, we've had quite a few interruptions and several distractions to begin this study. In addition, we're dealing with the very crisis in our own church that the Colossian believers were having, a Satan-inspired infiltration of our church. Unfortunately for me, as pastor of this church, I can't walk over to Ephesus to meet with the Apostle Paul to get counsel on how to deal with our problem. I have to deal with it in my own soul, one headache at a time. And believe me, it is a series of headaches. But, of course, I'm not allowed to have headaches, and I'm not allowed to feel that way. Because I have to be strong for everybody else. Only I'm not. Because I'm not any different from you, except that I have a different spiritual gift than you. But this stuff affects me. And it makes me mad. It hurts. It disgusts. I have the whole range of emotions. Because it shouldn't be this way. We ought to be bigger than this. But the fact of the matter is we're not. And it hurts. Now, what relevance does this letter have to our lives today? We have a problem. But we know that God created the solution before we had the problem. And he will unfold the solution before our very eyes. And we'll notice the solution if we're watching for it with our spiritual eyes wide open. If we're watching with the flesh, we're not going to see it. If we're watching with the flesh, we won't see it. What does the Bible tell us to do? Know no man according to the flesh. But we sit here 
you know, we're special because we sit here. Because this is a place where you can actually get some truth. But if you don't use it, what difference does it make? That's what I always tell my consulting clients. Okay, I'm going to teach you focus selling. But if you don't use focus selling, then you're the same as the people who didn't take it. Oh, that's harsh. Yeah, the truth often is for people who don't want to hear the truth. The truth is never harsh for me. I love hearing the truth. And I don't care who's telling it or how they're telling it. I've gotten more truth from five-year-olds than I get from adults. And they're not gentle. They'll tell you why they're kicking you. Amen? Amen. And I like that. Because at least they're honest. So, chapter one of the letter begins with the solution to what's going on in Colossae. And whatever your problem, Christ is the solution. Let's take a look at the chapter. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 29. This is a letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God the Father. He has a spiritual gift called the gift of apostle. It was given to him by God, and God expected him to use it. And from Timothy, our brother, who is with me. Colossians 1, 2. A letter to the saints, not sinners, but saints, and saints are believers in Christ, and to the faithful brethren, that's another term for believers in Christ, brethren in union with Christ, that's what happens to every believer at the moment of salvation, who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father, Colossians 1.3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for all of you. This is one of those situations where you're, if you're reading the Bible, and you know, a, a lot of people tell me they read the Bible. You can't, I mean, you can read the Bible and you can get some stuff out of it, but you really have to study the Bible so that you know what you're actually seeing. And this is one of the examples where we forget that the word you is both singular and plural. So if you read this in the New American Standard Version, which is the translation we use, you'll see the you, and you might think it's singular. This you is plural, so I've put for all of you everywhere where the you was plural. Colossians 1.3 says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for all of you Colossian believers. Colossians 1.4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus... And since we heard of the unconditional love which all of you have for all the saints. This was a church that was founded in a home and the people who were there understood their responsibility as Christians, which was to love others unconditionally, to love God unconditionally, and to love themselves unconditionally. With no conditions. So when we're stubbing our toe... We're not saying, my God, you're so stupid. We're not castigating ourselves like that. When we look at other people, we aren't looking at them for their faults. We're looking at them knowing that they have faults, and we're comfortable with the fact that they have faults because we know that they're human beings, and we're not expecting them to be supernatural. Amen? You guys, the amen's not enthusiastic because you don't like what I'm saying. Because I'm talking about you. See? You don't like what I'm saying. I don't like that I have to go through it. I don't like that I have to say it. Amen? Amen. So I want to hear some enthusiasm because I put a lot of enthusiasm into making this lesson. 
I don't like what we're going through. Colossians 1.4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and since we heard of the unconditional love, which all of you have for all the saints. Colossians 1.5. Why do you have that experience? Why do you have unconditional love for all the saints? Because of the hope. Hope in Greek is elpis, absolute confidence. Because of the absolute confidence laid up for all of you in heaven. What does that mean? It means as believers in Christ, we have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, reserved for us in heaven, which moth and rust will not hurt. We have mansions waiting for us in heaven because Jesus Christ said so and he set them aside for us because of the hope laid up for all of you in heaven, of which hope all of you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. That's the second passage we'll study in this first chapter. The fact that after God gives a person a spiritual gift and sends that person out to teach, what's the first person that person teaches? First thing that person teaches, the gospel message. What is it that we hear in this congregation every single week at the end of every single lesson? The gospel message. And what do we do when we hear it? Why do we keep hearing the same gospel message? Because the whole idea is to do with the gospel message exactly what we were doing in the kids' ministry yesterday. That when we're sitting in front of somebody, we've heard it so many times, it has to come out. And it just comes out, and the Holy Spirit takes it and empowers it so that people can be saved. Because the most important decision we make in this life is a decision for or against Christ. That's what we're here to do. And all the other things that we busy ourselves with, that's not what life is about. This life is about your relationship with Jesus Christ or lack thereof. And this little bitty 80 years or this little bitty 90 years or this little bit 100 years, 80 years plus 10 years on the way not knowing who the hell you are, This isn't significant. It's just not. But that decision that you can make when you're lucid, that's significant. Colossians 1.6, the gospel message, which has come to you, you believers in Colossae, just as it is coming in all the world also. Don't worry about the little kids in the middle of Africa. They're getting the gospel message. Amen? They're getting it. The gospel message that keeps on bearing fruit and keeps on increasing. You don't believe that. You don't believe it's keeping on bearing fruit and keeping on increasing because COVID. Oh, COVID, because Joe Biden. Joe Biden, COVID, nobody can stop that message from happening. Why? Because it's supernatural, it's not human. It's supernatural, and it's being spread all over the world by people with the courage to get it out of their mouths. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of the gospel message and understood the grace of God and truth. What is the grace of God? That God overlooks the sins previously committed and that he's not holding your sins against you. He doesn't have to because God the Son took on human form, humiliating himself, lived a sinless life, and went to a cross 
and for three hours paid for every sin that every creature would ever commit, past, present, and future. That is done. And he broke down the barrier that existed between God the Father and us by doing it. And now we have direct access to God the Father, direct access to God, and we could go boldly before the throne of grace to ask for mercy and grace in time of need. Colossians 1.7 Just as all of you learned the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. What's a bondservant? Greek word doulos, a person who is in 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week service to the Lord. That's what a believer in Christ is. We are doulos. We get 168 hours a week. We sleep 56 of it. That leaves 112 hours. And that 112 hours is all about 100% full-time service to the Lord in every place you are. 100% full-time service to the Lord when you're teaching your kids. 100% full-time service when you're interacting with your companion. 100% service, 100% full-time service when you're at your job and you hate your boss. Everywhere you are, 100% full-time service when you're in this church with human beings who act fallible. Do lie. Just as all of you learned the gospel message from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Barah Ministries was started by an Epaphras. His name is Rory Clark, and he started this ministry at his table with his two sons. And for 22 years, we've been teaching the word of God. And this is what it has grown into. And I'm completely satisfied with exactly where it is right at this moment. Complete satisfaction. Delighted with where it is right at this moment. Colossians 1.8 And he also informed us of your unconditional love in the Spirit. In pneumati. When I see that in the Greek, in pneumati, in the Spirit, we are in union with the Spirit too. We're not just in union with Christ. We're in union with the Spirit. And you'll see in pater, we're in union with the Father. We're in union with the entire Trinity. And we can't get out because none of the three of them would ever imagine letting us go. Amen? Amen? They would never let us be hurled headlong. Never. Eternal security. That's amazing. And every day when I wake up and I look in the mirror, I look confidently at a person who cannot lose his salvation, who is going to close his eyes in this miserable life and open up his life, eyes face to face with the Lord in a place of no more sorrow, no more tears, the old things have passed away, new things have come, a place exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. That's ex- that is so exciting to me. Colossians 1.9 For this reason also, since the day we heard the report of your faith, we have not stopped praying for all of you. Prayer is powerful. And we have not stopped asking that all of you may be filled with the knowledge of God the Father's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How many times do you pray for that? How many times do you pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding? God, I have a problem. Please give me the spiritual wisdom and understanding and the word to handle this problem because my thoughts are not working and even though they're not working I keep recycling them 
thinking that one day if I just recycle them enough times, they're going to work. They're not going to work. Supernatural problems require supernatural solutions. It's as simple as that. Colossians 1.10, so that all of you, this is Paul praying for the Colossian believers, so that all of you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's a great question that you need to ask yourself every minute of every day. Am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Walk is the Greek word for lifestyle. Is my lifestyle in a manner worthy of the Lord? That's the question. And how do you know it is? To please Him in all respects. (laughs) Bearing fruit in every good work. Fruit that He bears for you. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you getting to know the Lord more and more every day? You can't if you don't study the Bible every day. You're not going to, a pigeon's not going to come over and crap on your head, and all of a sudden you're going to get this knowledge of the Lord. Amen? That's not how it happens. You have to get your face in the Bible and study it. I listen to my own lesson three times a week just to see if I know what the hell I was talking about. Amen? Amen. I become a Berean about my own lesson. I check to see if what I'm saying is so comparing it to what the Bible has to say. Why? The knowledge of God, to know Him in every respect and to bring spiritual wisdom to things. In my consulting career, people say, God, you just are right so much of the time. No, practically all the time. Practically all the time. I'm 66. I've been here a while. I've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's not going to work. How did you know? Well, I'm 66. But the other thing is, I trust what the Lord has to say about what works and what doesn't. And all of a sudden, when you start trusting what the Lord has to say about stuff, life gets really easy. And we want to believe that the things that we come up with are somehow going to work. They're not. They just aren't. Colossians 1.11 Strengthened with all power. What kind of power? Divine power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. That's what God's power gives us, steadfastness and patience, so that when we see stuff going haywire, we just say, you know what, I know God has a solution to this problem. We're just going to watch and watch him reveal it. Colossians 1.12, joyously giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified us believers in Christ to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I wonder, if you don't have joy in your life, do you think that's God's plan for you? Do you think that God wants you to be miserable? (laughs) So if you are, there's something going on in your spiritual life that you need to look at. Because that is not God's plan for your life, for you to be miserable. It is not God's plan for your life, for you to be poor. It is not God's plan for your life for you to not succeed at everything you're doing. We have the victory as believers in Christ. And we are to show up victoriously in everything we do. And that is not to say that we'll show up without tribulation, because there will be tribulation. Colossians 1.13. These next two verses, or three, just, just get me crazy inside. 
God the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness. He plucked us out of spiritual death. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, the Lord, God the Son, Jesus the Christ. 100% God and 100% humanity in one person forever. The Christ, the Jewish Messiah, in whom we have redemption. What is that? We were purchased from the slave market of sin. That's what redemption is. We were slaves to sin and God bought us with a price. The price of his precious blood shed at a cross. And what was the result of that? The forgiveness of sins. The only way to have a sin forgiven is with the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.15 The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and Father. They are exactly the same in essence. And he is the firstborn of all creation. He has first place in everything. Colossians 1.16 For by the Lord, God the Son, all things were created. Check out John chapter 1, verse 3. For by the Lord, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. Things visible, things invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all put in place by the Lord. All things have been created through the Lord, and for the Lord. He made everything and he made it for himself. Colossians 1.17 The Lord is before all things. He is the head. We are the body. And in the Lord all things hold together by the word of his power. The Lord controls the universe. COVID did not sneak up on him. He knew it a billion years ago and he put the solution in place a billion years ago. A billion. The solution is done and it will be revealed at the right time. Colossians 1.18 The Lord is also head of the body, the church. He is the head, we are the body, we are the church age believers. That's the reference here. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is the only person who has been resurrected from the dead so far, but he certainly is not the last. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Colossians 1.19 For it was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in bodily form. Colossians 1.20 And through the Lord to reconcile all things to God the Father. He tore down the, the, the barrier of the dividing wall having made peace with God which means God the Father has nothing against us through the blood of the Lord's cross. That's called propitiation. The only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin is what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you at the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He sets the rules for earth. He sets the rules for heaven. He sets the rules under the earth. Amen? Amen. Colossians 1.21 And although all of you, all of you, from the moment of physical birth, were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaging in evil deeds, not interested in a relationship with Christ, seeking no relationship with Him. He came after you. Right, June? He ran after me. Did you write a song like that? He ran after me. He ran after me. Called me for His own. He ran after me. Now I run after thee. Did you write that? Yes, you did. Colossians 1.22. 
Yet the Lord has now reconciled all of you. What is that? Restored relationship for all of you. In his fleshly body, it was Jesus Christ's humanity that bore the sins of the whole world through death. Why did he do it? Because he was nuts. He was nuts. Why would he do that for you? Why would he do that if there was only one of you? He was out of his mind. For you. That's why he did it. Because he loved you. He cared about you. He knew you didn't deserve it. But he gave it to you anyway. Why did he do it? In order to present all of you who are believers in Christ before God the Father. Holy, blameless, beyond reproach. That's your state right this minute. You don't look at yourself like that as a believer in Christ, but God looks at you like that as a believer in Christ. So you should not be looking at yourself like you look at yourself because you have a faulty view of self. But God does not. Colossians 1.23 If indeed all of you continue in the faith, and you will, first class condition if, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away by false teachers from the hope, the absolute confidence of the gospel message that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul is a minister of the gospel. Colossians 1.24 Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Notice how Christ looks at your afflictions. He looks at them as his own. Why? Because the Lord considers your problems to be his responsibility. Colossians 1.25 Of this church, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the stewardship from God the Father bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That's what an apostle does. Fully carries out the preaching of the Word of God. Colossians 1.26 That is, preaching about the mystery, which has been hidden from past ages and generations, hidden from Old Testament believers. A mystery that has now been manifested, made clearly visible to all of God the Father's saints. And what is that? To whom God the Father willed to make known What are the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you? That absolute confidence of your future glory. Are you going to be resurrected from the dead? The Lord says so. And what did he do to give you a signature guarantee that that was true? He indwelled you so that nowhere you go can you go without him. Colossians 1.28 We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete who is in union with Christ. There it is again in Christo Iesu. In Christ. Colossians 1.29 For this purpose also I, Paul, labor, striving according to God the Father's power which mightily works in me. Colossae is like modern-day Detroit. 
At one time, it was a booming metropolis that was the cradle of the Industrial Revolution. And all of the major car manufacturers were based in Detroit. And it was the place to be if you wanted to make money. And today, Detroit is struggling to come back from it to its former glory. But it is more of a carcass that has had the life picked from it by the vultures of Satan's world system. And so it was at Colossae. Once on a road that was a major trade route, when the route was changed, the city began to die. It became a small town in the middle of nowhere. A home-based Christian church was started there by a man named Epaphras. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as the new church started to bud, false teachers and false teachings sprang up like a root, infiltrating the church and threatening its existence. And I find that funny. I find that funny. Why is it? I find it funny on two counts. Number one, why is it that Satan would care about a church in the middle of nowhere? I don't get it. I get it. He cares about all places where the truth is being taught. Why would Paul care about a place in the middle of nowhere? Because God does. Because God cares about little churches with a lot of empty seats in the middle of nowhere, Mesa, Arizona. And he cares about all the people who come here to let a message from here hit their ears. That's why. So, Epaphras, who had learned from the Apostle Paul during his three years in Ephesus, just 100 miles away from Colossae in modern-day Turkey, went to Rome to visit Paul in prison and to get help with the problem in the churches at Colossae, at Laodicea, and at Hierapolis. And although Paul would never visit Colossae, and he would never meet any of the Colossian believers, he penned this letter to him, this magnificent letter that is the standard for how we ought to be thinking about Christianity. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll look at the first few verses of the letter. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just, just a nobody 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson. Whatever your problem, the solution is Jesus. Whatever your problem, the solution is Jesus. Hey, I forgot to mention prayers, please, for Raquel. 
Viara, who's got the, she's got the COVID. Yeah. I don't think she has it, but I think she just bought her test at the wrong place. CVS. Don't buy your test from CVS. That's where they distribute most of the positive tests over at CVS. He said cynically, by the way, we're going to have a, a woman president by January. I predicted that a long time before the election happened. You remember I did, right? Do you remember that? Not not directly, but anyway, I'm not a politician, so I'm just predicting. I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy. <laughs> I have the gift of prophecy, and I tongued it out. All right, forget it. Back to this. Today's Bible lesson, whatever your problems, the solution is Jesus. So when we give the gospel message to unbelievers and they return the gift, by listening attentively, it's one of the most gratifying experiences in the world. The gift of listening is the gift of intimacy. And when you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for us to give the gift of the gospel message to people all over the world through the magic of the Internet. Uh, people are listening, and it's mind-boggling to me how every week when I look to see where our messages are going, they're going to places I cannot pronounce and did not know existed. So thank you for supporting this ministry with your generosity. You are giving to God as well as giving to Barah Ministries. And your unselfish giving is a reflection of our God. And it gives people around the world a chance to respond intimately to a life-giving message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Can you hear me? Check one, check one. Now you can hear me. Check two. All right. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. This is also a place where you get to hear stories about me and my kids and how it applies <laughs> to life, <laughs> whether you want to or not. But I have a seven-year-old William and a four-year-old L, and they play together great sometimes, and sometimes they don't. If you have kids, you know how emotional they can get real quick. They can go from playing nicely to kicking each other and being violent, treating each other horrible. And you would never think somebody that you love one moment that you would just treat them so horribly the next moment. And kids can just get locked into emotion. They get real bitter at their brother. I, my, my daughter will come in and tell me that William's washing his hands in the wrong sink. What? Why are you worried about that? But she's mad at him because she can't quite do it. She's not tall enough. And so she's emotional about it and bitter towards him. She has to punish him, make him feel bad. And it's funny because kids do that all the time. And really you think that it stops when you're an adult, but it doesn't. We do the same thing, you know, wives and husbands. We're at work all day and we treat our, our coworkers nice and we ho-hum and say nice. But then we get home and we kind of run over our wife or our husband and just you know, because we're emotional from the day. We're not very compassionate or em- em- have any empathy towards their day or what they've been going through. 
And I think a lot of times, like at work, you know, um, you can treat people differently than you would treat people, those that are closer to you. And, you, you know, I see my kids, they're going crazy and they're fighting and they're, they're going real nice and they'll scream at me. And like, would you scream at your teacher at school? No, you wouldn't. Would you punch somebody at school? No, you wouldn't. But why would you punch your brother? Why would you scream at your dad? Why would you treat people so close to you so horribly? Because that's what emotions do. That's what bitterness does. When we're locked in that, that's what happens. And that's how Satan creeps into our mind. Creeps in just a little bit. That root of bitterness, that root of anger towards somebody. And it doesn't just stay there, it grows. Its plan is to divide and conquer your soul and divide and conquer those around you. Without a doubt. And it's funny because I was thinking about like a zoo worker. You know, they go to work and they treat these a giraffe, and they're just loving and caring. The giraffe spits on them, or they got to pick up the, all the feces from the giraffe, and they just deal with these horrible things. And then maybe they go home, and they've got a grandma that they've been taking care of that needs more and more help. And are they as caring and loving towards the giraffe as they are towards the grandma, or are they bitter a little bit? The grandma's in their way, and i got to change grandma, and I can't do my own thing. There's a little bit of sacrifice in your life, a little bit of discomfort. So it's really easy to teach. Te- you know, to treat those around us harshly. And why do we do that? Because that's what we do as children. That's what we do from the beginning. And that's what Satan did. Satan turned on God. Satan betrayed God because of his bitterness. And then you see Judas. Judas turned on Jesus. He went to the chief priests. You know? And so, who's your Judas in your life? And the real question is, is it you? Wherever you are, are you the person that's treating people wrongly and in it for the emotion, in it for your own? Are you here for God? Are you here for the will of God? And that's hard to do sometimes. All of us are going through lots of stuff. And all of us have hard schedules. But all of us are stepping up. And I really appreciate Pastor for stepping up because he's been doing this for a long time, through a career, through children, through all this stuff that we've all been going through. And it's, it's real easy to get divided from God and get conquered. And lose your faith and lose the grace and forget about watching over one another. And we can see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of problem produces a bitter poison, springing up and causing trouble, so that by it the many are defiled. It only takes one root to get in there to mess everything up. And just sour attitudes. And then you got both people being bitter. You got kids being bitter against each other. You got wives and husbands bitter against each other. And nobody wants to get out, out of that emotion because it's fun. It's fun to be angry. We feel proud of it. We feel like we have a reason to be there. And at the end of the day, it doesn't help anything. You just put it in your emotional baggage and carry it everywhere, and it's a problem. And then when you want to just make a quick trip, you put it in your grief case and you bring it with you. Just a couple of your problems with that person. You know, and it's. It's what Satan wants to do. He wants to divide and conquer. It's like you can't eat a steak in one bite. You've got to slice it up, divide it one by one, and chop it up and get us divided. Be the opposite of unity. And so when we come here each week, this is unity. This is us being unified in our spirits, in our minds, in our bodies, in our souls. And we really appreciate it. When you give at the offering, this is worship because you're giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And your talent is something that God gave you. It's your spiritual gift. We all have one, and we should all find it out, and we really should all step up with it. And I'm a, I appreciate Pastor because he doesn't let anything get the way, in the way of his. And so thank you very much. And thank you for the mic working.
I love that song. That's such a good song. It's so necessary. Oh, we had the words and we didn't use them. There we go. All right. Today's Bible lesson, whatever your problems, the solution is Jesus. So in today's uh, lesson, we'll get through the first two verses of Colossians chapter 1. So the first two verses of the letter introduce the author, the Apostle Paul. Here's what it says straight from the Greek. A letter from Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Nazareth. I love that. I love it that we're talking about the carpenter, Jesus the Christ, who was from Nazareth, one of the 109 things that were revealed in the Old Testament that would help us to recognize the Messiah, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And this Paul, by spiritual gift and apostle, by the will of God the Father, because our spiritual gift comes from God, with Timothy, our brother. Timothy was Paul's protege. He was the guy that Paul was going to hand off his ministry to when he went home to be with the Lord. So Timothy was with him quite a bit. And Timothy was an interesting case because Timothy was raised by women, so he would be described as soft. He was very soft and very sensitive as a guy. Colossians 1-2. A letter to the saints... And what's a saint? Those who are believers in Christ. Paul never sends a letter to sinners. It's always to saints, yet you routinely hear believers in Christ talking about how they're sinners. We are not sinners. We are saints. We are saints who sin. But what's doing the sinning is the flesh and not who we really are in soul and spirit. That's all you need to know. If you want more information on that, Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 24. A letter to the saints, those who are believers in Christ, and to the holy and faithful brethren in union with Christ. At the moment of salvation, God the Holy Spirit places us into a union with Christ that we cannot get out of. The faithful brethren in union with Christ who are at Colossae, a city in Turkey. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That is the salutation that Paul uses in many of his letters. Grace to you and peace. God's grace to you. What is God's grace to you? God gives you what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Paul is the apostle of grace. Paul is the apostle after the cross. And see, what the, what the period of time... Human history is an exact duplication of angelic history. All right, so what happened in angelic history? There was the Lord and the angels, and he snapped his finger, and the morning stars sang together, and they were so excited. And then what happened? Satan convinced all of the angels to rebel against Jesus Christ. All right? And what happened? God shut down the planet. The earth became formless and void, and the hills were quaking from God's fierce anger. And then there was a reconciliation offer said, okay, you guys are all over there. You're all welcome to come back. Two-thirds of them did. One-third of them did not. And God the Holy Spirit moved over the surface of the waters and restored the planet. And so now here we are in human history. Human history is an exact duplication of angelic history. So, what happened in angelic history? There was God... 
And there was this special group of creatures, angels. What happened in human history? There was God and this special group, the Jews, the chosen race in a chosen nation, Israel. And they were taught the rules. The angels were taught the rules. The Jews were taught the rules. What were the rules called? The Mosaic Law. What happened in angelic history? They broke the rules. What happened in human history? They broke the rules. And so now they're screwed. The angels were screwed and human beings were screwed. And so then what happened? God decided, God the Father, who was the person who was hurt by this whole thing, decided that he would fix the problem even though he wasn't the one who initiated the problem. He was wronged. And what did he do as the one who was wrong? He fixed the problem. And how did he fix the problem? He sent his son to die and to pay for the mistakes of angelic creatures and human creatures to a cross. (laughs) And then there was everything that happened after the cross. And that's where we are right now, the church age. And what happened after the cross? What happened after the cross? What happened after the mistake? is that God loved us more than he did before the mistake. That's why church-age believers are indwelled by the whole trinity. It's a guarantee that what happened before will never happen again. Because God will never let it happen again. And so we are in union with Christ. Why? So it will never happen again. No matter what we do, it will never happen again. God loved us more after the mistake than He did before the mistake. And before the mistake, He loved us pretty unconditionally. And that's exactly the way you guys operate with all your friends and family members, right? When they make a mistake, you love them more, right? What is love? <laughs> Please don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Yeah. No more. Vita, Vita nailed it. That's why he's God and we're not. That's right. And in everything that is true about God, it is not true about us at all. He is so different from us. And that's why I just crack up when Christians are running around. I'm going to be Christ like. Yeah. In your dreams, (laughs) you haven't got a prayer of being Christ-like, not even remotely. Well, Paul is the apostle of grace. Paul is the apostle uh, to tell us about what happened after the cross, what happened after the mistake. And we are in the age of grace. What is grace? Grace is a policy from God whereby he gives sinners, and what are sinners? Unbelievers what they do not deserve by saving them. Because when you sin, what you deserve is death. Sin in the divine realm is the equivalent of murder, capital murder, in the human realm. 
when you commit capital murder in the human realm and you are convicted of it, you go to the death to death row and you're put to death in the states where that have the courage to do it. In the angelic realm, there was no courage issue. God has no problem putting to death those who sin, but he chose not to. He chose to have mercy. He chose not to give creatures what they deserved. That's what mercy is. He chose not to give them what they deserved. So grace is a policy from God whereby he gives sinners what they do not deserve by saving them and by which he gives believers in Christ what they don't deserve by using his influence to equip them with the capacity to obey when we don't want to, the capacity to suffer in Satan's kingdom when we don't want to, and the capacity to work to learn about him when we don't want to. Look what he gives people who don't want him. Look what he does for people who reject him. Much more. That's the way the Bible describes it in two words. Much more. There's a much more grace. As church-age believers, we are the recipients of God's grace, a policy uh, that God was free to use toward us after the cross, Because the Lord Jesus Christ's propitiatory work at the cross on our behalf made it possible. What is propitiation? The Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice at the cross is the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father. The only thing. Your penance does not do one thing for sin. Your feeling sorry does not do one thing for sin. Your feeling guilty does not do do one thing for sin. Your fasting does not do one thing for sin. Only the blood of Christ cleanses from sin. Amen? Amen? So you can stop all the legalism. You can stop all the asceticism. You can stop all the mysticism. You can stop buying into the world's philosophy. Because that's what chapter 2 of Colossians is all about. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says it all about us church-age believers. Sin shall not any longer be a lord and master over you. Why? Because of the cross. For you church-age believers are not under the law. You're not under the Mosaic law. The law came in so that sin would increase. You are under grace. I've told you this a hundred times, and I'm going to tell you today because you're coming over to my house. And believe me, you will get cut if you don't listen to this rule. I got a Snickers bar in my refrigerator and my freezer. And if you touch my Snickers bar, you're going to get cut. Amen? I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to get you right over here in the fatty part that hurts. And I'm watching you, Vita. I'm watching you. If I see your hand on the, on the freezer, I'm not going to let you open it. <laughs> yeah, June will be spill, oh, busy spilling over on my couch. But here, that's, that's what happens when rules are made. You should never make rules for your kids. You should set standards. Because when you give them rules, the first thing they do is break them. Set standards. Norma's looking at me and saying, why didn't you tell me that 25 years ago? (laughs) Yeah, why didn't somebody tell me? (laughs) 
Romans 6, 14, would have cured the whole thing. Sin shall not longer be a lord and master over you, for you church-age believers are not under the law. You're under grace. And why are we so graced out? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ, and all church-age believers are, there is a new creation. The old man things have passed away. They died. That's when, when you hear people say about a dead person. They passed. They passed away. This is where they got it from, because that's what that means. In Greek, that means they died. Behold, new creation things have come. As church-age believers, we're a new creation. The believers who are the recipients of grace. God gives grace to people who don't deserve grace. And he gives it from his heart, from his mind, from his character, from his nature, from his very essence. With huge cost to him and no cost to us. The best song ever about God's grace was written by John Newton an immoral slave trader and a blasphemer who was always rejecting God verbally, a man who knew that he was a wretch, who, like us, often wept over the depth of his sins. And by understanding how bad he was, he was then able to understand why God's grace was so utterly amazing. And this immoral man wrote the immortal song and gave it as a grace gift to all of us. The song, Amazing Grace. And when we realize how bad we are as people, we realize what Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 means. I, Paul, do not set aside the grace of God the Father with my works, because there are a lot of people who think they can work to please God. And Paul says, I'm not going to set aside God's work with my work, because my work doesn't mean anything. Because if, for the sake of argument, Righteousness, the righteousness that's needed to get to heaven, comes through obeying the Mosaic law, then Christ died needlessly at the cross. If we could do it, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. And so Paul says, I'm not going to nullify his work on my behalf. I'm not good enough. We can't work to save ourselves. As wretches, we are dependent on God's grace. We're counting on God loving us when we know we're unlovable. And unfortunately, we don't give the same grace to others. The word grace appears 131 times in the Bible. 124 of those times, it's in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses the word grace 86 times, more than half of the uses in his letters to the church. What is the problem in Barah Ministries that requires a solution? We have lost our minds. We have taken our eyes off Jesus. We have become familiar with each other. Do you know what it means to become familiar with somebody where you just take them for granted? You start getting a real dull attitude toward them. You start acting like you know them and you don't have any, anything else to learn about them. That's what's happened here. And so you start using phony words like unity. Oh, we're all in unity. Oh, we're bonded. And then you peel back the layers, a couple of layers, and you see what the real thing is, and there's enmity. Intense hatred going on. 
And two things don't get better with age, bills and problems. And it needs to be addressed, and it doesn't get addressed in one meeting that is so intense that the emotions are out of control. And let's not pretend like this isn't real life. Because this is real life. This is exactly what happens in every relationship we're in. Phoniness. Pretending that something's okay with you when it's not and thinking that you're somehow special because you didn't say anything. And then the next thing you know, the relationship is in hell and you're scratching your head trying to figure out why it happened. It happened because you didn't address it immediately and put it to bed. That's why it happened. Because it's easier to be a phony. But it doesn't work. Because it eventually comes out. That described my first marriage. Phony. Sweep everything under the rug. Well, I was the kid in, the, in my family that saw the stuff under the rug, and I'm kind of constantly pulling the rug back. You see this? And it has to be dealt with at a point. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We take our blessings of this ministry for granted. We have been infiltrated by the world. And frankly, we are blind to the insidiousness of the problem. The problem manifests itself as dissatisfaction. First of all, we're dissatisfied with each other. Second of all, we're dissatisfied with the progress the ministry is making. In 22 years, we've, we've uh, gotten the word of God right. We've got land. We're building up. We've, we've got architectural plans. We're poised to have a building and be uh, something in Gilbert, Arizona that makes a difference in the world. As soon as God gives us the money, which he will give us the money, because he's not a teaser. Oh, I'm going to give you land, but I'm not going to give you the money. He's not like that. We're dissatisfied with the growth that we refuse to see. We're, we're dissatisfied most with ourselves. We don't like ourselves. Men give up at a point in life. But they're not dead. But they just give up on themselves. Why? Why? If you're breathing, you don't give up on yourself. We're dissatisfied with the world. Oh man, this world would be great without COVID. This world sucked before COVID and it sucks now. Yeah. Is it up here? There it is. You remember this? Those of you who are listening, I got the little green box out again. You remember the little green box? That's Christianity. It's a gift that God gives us at the moment of salvation. And everything that's in there is all we need. We need nothing else. It needs nothing added to it. We have everything we need. 
from the moment of salvation. But Satan says, nah, uh-uh. You need, you need more. You need it bigger and better and prettier. You need to add something to that to make it effective and sufficient. No, you don't. No, you don't. Anything you mix in there is like putting gasoline in a cake. Poisons it. God doesn't want any mixture. He doesn't want your help. The Bible says that believers in Christ are filled up to all the fullness of God. We are totally sufficient. God has us right where he wants us right this minute. He's given us the gift of Christianity, and it has a solution for every one of our problems right in that box, only we don't think so. Oh, there's no way that this is ever going to get worked out. We think we have a better idea, because God couldn't possibly be right. Why? Because we're listening to Satan, and we're letting him infiltrate our thinking, because we are watching the news too much, because we think God is off-duty. Isn't that what Bette Midler told us? God is watching us from a distance. She's lying. He's not watching us from a distance. He's omnipresent. He's watching us real up close and personal. So whatever your problems, the solution is Christ. As you reread the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians in the coming weeks. See if you can identify who Christ is and what he has done for you. Because that first chapter tells you everything you want to know. As a pastor, I am charged with studying and teaching the Word of God so that you as saints are equipped for the work of service. I am not charged with refereeing your fights, but I do. Out of a concern for you. None of us are immune to satanic infiltration of our thoughts. But as a Jewish believer in Christ pointed out to me this week, the Lord warned the Jews quite a bit about the destructive power of Satan and his world forces in the Torah, which are the first five books of the Bible, and they still disobeyed. And it's so true. And for many, many years they disobeyed, and they are still in the midst of their disobedient rejection of their Messiah. But they will come to their senses in the future. The reminder calmed me. It suspended my disbelief that we would ever allow ourselves to be a part of the dissatisfaction that is rampant in the world. That's one of the things I hate about salespeople. I teach salespeople how to sell, and they're never satisfied. Your quota is five, you did five. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm unhappy. Why? I should have uh, Five, five. Love it. And get on to the next month. Never satisfied. More, more, more. How do you like it? How do you like it? Satan inspires that. We have Christ. We have his word. It shocks me that we would allow the teaching of the world to be more powerful in our lives than the teaching from this pulpit. Yet we do. We love false teachers, and we repel truth teachers. It teaches us to never underestimate Satan's power to cause problems. It teaches us to never underestimate his ability to steal our passion. It teaches us 
to be very wary of his power to kill and destroy, which God talked to us about in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come to give the resurrection life and to give it abundantly. We hear this all the time, but now we get to live it. Simultaneously, it reminds us to never forget that the solution to our problems is Christ. Closing moments of our lesson is for anyone who's listening who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. How would it be for you to know that there is someone who loves you so much that their love for you is almost unspeakable, yet you don't know who they are and you haven't met them? Actually, that is your situation if you don't have a relationship with God. The creator of the universe created many things, including you. John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being, including you. And you can have a relationship with your Creator because you are lost if you don't have a relationship with Him. And you are not seeking Him, according to Romans chapter 3. But the good news is that He is looking for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7 say this, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Luke 15, 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep which was lost. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner an unbeliever who repents, who changes his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over the 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. See, I've got bad news for sinners, unbelievers who don't have a relationship with Christ. You were born in a state of unrighteousness. All of us were. We were born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. It's not your fault but it is your circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the, le- in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there's good news. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what Christians call the gospel message. Let's see what happened when the gospel message was preached in a prison in first century Rome in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's chains were unfastened. Acts 16, 27. When the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. 
because in first century Rome, allowing prisoners to escape carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards. So most of them would just do it themselves. Acts 16, 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying to the guard, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, 30. And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. What does it mean to believe? Take God's word for it. For what it takes to be saved, that's all it means. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It's simply faith, a gift to God, a gift from God to you, expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That is the ticket to eternal life. How did our jailer friend get saved? In a crisis, he recognized his need for a Savior. He asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message. The jailer did what was suggested, and it was that simple. But you don't have to wait for a crisis to be saved. You can actually do it right now. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received directly from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Because if Jesus Christ just died and didn't get raised from the dead, he'd just be like any other human martyr. No, he's not. He's God, and he was raised from the dead. Now, it's worse news if you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 says this, The wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of unbelievers who ignore the truth in their unrighteousness. Romans 1:19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of them. For God the Father made it evident to them from inside of them. We all know from inside that there's something bigger than us. Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, God's eternal power, and God's divine nature, His deity, have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood, even through what has been made in nature, God's creative work, like the Grand Canyon, like the moon, like the sun, like the stars, so that all mankind is without excuse in the matter of knowing God. God makes himself clearly visible to human beings in ways that make sense to human beings, both from the inside of them and from the outside of them. Remember what Paul and Silas said to the jail guard in Acts 16.31, he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Acts 16.32, And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news to the jailer, together with all the people who were in his house. And the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. 
and immediately the jailer was baptized by God the Holy Spirit, he and all those in his household who also believed. And they all did. Acts 16.34, And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his whole household. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Wouldn't you like to spend all eternity in heaven? Don't miss the opportunity. Take advantage of the good news of the gospel message right now. Let's close with music. When unpleasant circumstances befall an unbeliever, they sigh and say, I guess that's my fate. Unbelievers see circumstances as a curse from an unknown source, perhaps the universe or karma. As believers in Christ, we know that our God works all things together for our good because he has given us a destiny. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God the Father's workmanship, put it up, created to be in union with Christ Jesus and equipped for good works, which good works God the Father prepared for us beforehand, that is, before the foundation of the world, so that we would walk in them. Here's June Murphy to sing about our destiny from God's perspective. before the beginning of time I only want what's best for you I'll work all things for good because I know you love me child this must be understood I'll lead you to destiny come take my hand and follow me just trust in me come taste and see that there is none no one like me who will lead you to and be to I died and rose to 
Thank you very much. Let's close with words of worship for our Almighty God. Ephesians 1.3 Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, a place of permanence, through our union with Christ. Ephesians 1.7 and 8 In Jesus we have redemption. That's deliverance from slavery to sin. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Ephesians 3.20 Now to God the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power, omnipotence, that works within us. To him be the glory through the church age believers in union with Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for the tribulation that you give us. We thank you because there's nothing quite as effective at getting our attention as pain. And we just thank you for the pain and thank you for the challenge of climbing the mountain and getting to the top of the mountain of this current challenge so that we see you. And we know that you're there with us, that you won't let us be hurled headlong. We know that you allow shaking to happen in churches so that those who are approved become evident. And we welcome all the things that you have taught us in your word because we know that the outcome is always the same with you. Victory, victory, victory. We ask for your continued blessings. We ask for your power to sustain what we're going through step by step. Through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Yay. Yay.